Thank you for listening to today's podcast. This is Patrick Cooley from Northport First. I have three quick questions for you. When was the last time someone got you angry? I mean, really hot under the collar. When was the last time a situation nearly got the best of you? Or did it get the best of you? And why do you think this happened? And lastly, were your reactions justified? If our readings today are about anything, I think it's safe to assume that they are about how we tend to react to others. Yesterday, we looked at Eliphaz's second round of advice to his friend Job. Of course, his delivery is questionable, a bit judgy and condescending. But if you recall, I did say that it wasn't entirely devoid of merit since Eliphaz could have simply walked away from Job after the first round fell on deaf ears. But no, he he sticks with it, perhaps because he really wants what's best for Job. We've got to wait until Job chapter 23 to learn that this is, in fact, quite possibly so, since Elihu, the youngest of the bunch that hasn't spoken yet, is mad at Eliphaz and his two friends because they haven't condemned Job. By the way, he's also mad at Job for thinking that uh, Job is right, with Job thinking that he's right and justified and God not. But I'm sure you'll hear more about that when you get toward the end of the book. Chapter 16 marks Job's fourth reply in his rebuttal to Eliphaz's second speech. We don't have to stretch the imagination much to ascertain how Job takes this advice, as indicated by his choice of words in in verse number 3, troublesome comforters, windy words, what sickness makes you rattle on. And then in 20 he says, my friends it is who wrong me. They are described as impious and wicked. And again, these are his friends. And then Job lashes out at God, who has given him over and set him up as a target and pierces his side without mercy, etc., etc. Chapter 16 leaves little doubt how Job receives this word, and this also later explains Elihu's anger. Of course, what Job faces is in a way unique. All that had led up to this point, everything that had occurred before, everything that will go on later, it all happens for a specific reason, a cosmic and universal reason. Like Adam and Eve making their fateful decision, or or Jonah, or Judas. Job is a story about blessing and salvation, the nature of God and all flesh. It's big, it's doctrinal, it's ontological. In Acts chapter 21 to 23, on the other hand, we get to see the real world effects of overreaction. Violence, uncertainty, pain, and confusion. Just as in Philippi, Paul's presence causes such a negative reaction in Jerusalem that the Roman authority must respond. We discover in today's reading that anyone and anything can also contribute to chaos. 
One week after his arrival in Jerusalem, Jews from the province of Asia discover that Paul is in the city. His mere presence causes them to stir up a mob against him, and a mob that would have surely killed him if it weren't for the Romans. Again, in chapter 22, the the mob and its leaders react violently when Paul includes the Gentiles in God's family. In response to this, and to his credit, Claudius Lysias, the cohort's commander, is able to accomplish what his peers in Philippi could not. And what he's able to do is keep from overreacting. Well, to be fair, he does almost overreact at the end of chapter 22 when he sends Paul off for a pre-interrogation beating. But after reversing this decision, the Roman commander seems to take a breath before making any subsequent decision. He weighs Paul's rights as a Roman against maintaining order against any dissatisfaction among the religious elites and the people. In chapter 21, Lysias doesn't simply react to the mob. Sure, he arrests Paul, but before of summarily making an example of the apostle, he seeks to understand the cause of the fuss. In the next chapter, the commander then tries to diffuse any future problem by giving Paul a chance to speak to others and work it out. Now, of course, when this goes sideways, he almost overreacts, as mentioned a bit ago. In chapter 23, Claudius Lysias essentially tries one more time to get to the bottom of things and to smooth out this situation. Paul is taken before the Sanhedrin. And this is where we learn that anybody can contribute to chaos. Paul deflects the questions and the entire thing by bringing up the resurrection, thus causing the Sanhedrin to fall into chaos between those that support the resurrection and those that don't. In fact, Paul's deflection here makes it even worse because it is from this is hatched the plot to kill the apostle in an ambush. And I think Lysias's most thoughtful decision comes at the end when he decides to transfer Paul out of the city to Caesarea, following his choice to listen to a child as opposed to do what would have been expedient. Our lives today are hemmed in on all sides by trouble, opposing belief, and and even those who would do us harm. No matter our position, we are encouraged to take offense and to act as the aggrieved in any confrontation, even if we're the ones who have instigated that confrontation. In any case, our reaction to others will invariably impact more lives than just our own, and our reaction will reflect upon others too. It's funny how Claudius Lysias appears to be Luke's example to any Christian who wants to know how to deal with others in our topsy-turvy world. Let us pray. Gracious God, when we are confronted by the extraordinary, when we are confronted by trouble, by anxiety, by fear and violence, help us remember the actions of of a Roman Gentile soldier. 
Help us take a breath. Remember who we are. Remember that our actions reflect upon you and that no matter what we choose to do, others will also be impacted. So help us to calm ourselves, to rest in the calm presence of your peace and spirit so that we might be able to respond as your son would to the troubles that are all around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening, and I hope you tune in tomorrow.